And let me pray for us uh, before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you give us uh, your word uh, to show us what you're like. And please, uh, Father, would we hear you speak to us in your word this morning? Please, would you help us to see uh, more of the Lord Jesus, more of what he's like, more of uh, what you have done for us through him. And please, uh, Father, would you, uh, would you grow our love for you this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, uh, one question that people asked before King Charles came to the throne was, uh, what kind of king will he be? What kind of king uh, is he? What will he uh, try to achieve? What will he be like? And following uh, the recent announcement of his cancer diagnosis, the question uh, people now are asking is, how will his duties change? What kind of king is he and what will he uh, be able or not be able to do? Whatever you make of King Charles, I wonder if you've ever considered uh, what kind of king you would like to have. What kind of king uh, would be most attractive to you? What kind of king uh, would you be most drawn to? What kind of king would you love to serve and give your allegiance to? Uh, What would you like them to do, to achieve as king? Speaking uh, shortly after uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth, one writer uh, said, She showed us the blessing it is to live under a good ruler. It's a good thing to live under a good ruler, isn't it? Whether that's uh, a king uh, or a queen, a prime minister, uh, your boss in the workplace. They make your life better off. A ruler uh, who is truly good is what we all need. A ruler who is uh, truly good is what we all long for. And in our our passage today, we see a picture of a king, and it is most attractive. It is most uh, beautiful. It is most uh, irresistible. We see uh, not just the description of the king that we'd like, but also the king that we most desperately need. The king who uh, meets our deepest needs, who drives out our greatest fears. I don't know what you think when you hear that. Uh, Maybe you wonder if you can really trust Jesus as your king. Choosing to follow him uh, and serve him and give him your allegiance is a big uh, decision. Can we trust him? Maybe you wonder, uh, do I need to be afraid uh, with Jesus? Can he uh, give me what I need? How can I uh, really know what he's like? Well, these are all uh, questions uh, that our passage has answers to uh, that I think will help us uh, this morning. And there are three things uh, in particular in this passage uh, that show us uh, what kind of king Jesus is. He is the uh, saviour king, he's the humble king, and he's the unstoppable king. We'll look at each 
uh, in turn. So firstly, uh, Jesus is the saviour king in verses 12 and 13 of the passage. The events in our passage uh, take place at the time of the Jewish Passover festival. Uh, Jerusalem is heaving. Uh, Crowds of pilgrims uh, from all over Israel uh, and beyond have made their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Uh, The streets are uh, literally packed and word gets round that Jesus is coming. Not so long ago, uh, Jesus had been in the nearby village of uh, Bethany, uh, where a man uh, called Lazarus had been lying dead in his tomb for four days. But after uh, claiming to be the resurrection and the life, Jesus went into his tomb and said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. No wonder the crowds now are uh, desperate to see this Jesus. And so as Jesus makes his way uh, along uh, the dusty road on foot uh, from Bethany uh, to Jerusalem, a great crowd come out of Jerusalem uh, to meet him. And they take uh, palm tree branches in their hands and they cry out, Hosanna! Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Uh, Palm tree branches uh, have become a bit of a uh, a national symbol in Israel. Waving them uh, was a symbol of victory. Uh, It was a way to honor royalty. We see another great crowd holding palm branches at the end of our Bible in Revelation 7 verse 9, praising God and the Lamb for their salvation, their victory, their rule. And so here the crowd goes out to meet Jesus holding palm branches to show their hope that Jesus was the Messiah, the King who God had sent to liberate his people. The palm branches, uh, they were like the the red carpet uh, that we might roll out to welcome royalty today or to welcome uh, a great leader. You can imagine the scene if the king uh, was to come here and visit little Paxton. Uh, The crowds gather, uh, the red carpet's rolled out, the band is playing, uh, everyone's waving their flags and shouting, uh, God save the king. And in fact, uh, here, the praises that the crowd uh, cry out to Jesus, uh, they weren't just made up on the spot. They come directly uh, from Psalm 118. Uh, Turn with me to it if you've got a Bible uh, in front of you. Psalm 118. It's a psalm of praise uh, that every Jew would have known very well. It's a psalm that praises God for his salvation of the king and so also uh, God's people. It's a psalm uh, that marvels and rejoices at the king that God has saved. And the crowd uh, outside Jerusalem holding their palm branches cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying uh, the words Uh, from Psalm 118, verses uh, 25 and 26, uh, if you're looking down. Hosanna literally means, uh, save us now. It's there in in verse 25 of the psalm. Hosanna, save us, Lord. 
save us now. Uh, it had become uh, more of a general expression of praise. Uh, but the person being praised is the one who they expected to save them. And the one who comes in the name of the Lord is God's king, is the Messiah. And in case uh, we didn't get the reference in Psalm 118, it's stated again plainly uh, in our passage in verse 13. Blessed is the king of Israel. The point is, uh, the crowd were praising Jesus as the king who'd come to save them. They were probably thinking of uh, salvation from their Roman oppressors, liberation and freedom from the hands of the Romans. That's what they would have understood by salvation. That's what they thought Jesus was going to do for them. And they can hardly contain their excitement. Jesus, God's king, had come to save them. It was a wonderful day of uh, great news for God's people. But we might also be thinking, uh, does Jesus really know uh, what he's doing? See, back uh, in in John's Gospel, in uh, chapter 11, verse 48, the chief priests and Pharisees were plotting against Jesus. And they're concerned uh, that if Jesus causes a stir, the Romans will come in and crush them. A scene like this, uh, announcing a new king outside Jerusalem on the busiest festival of the year, is asking for trouble. Does he really know uh, what he's doing? And after all, uh, only a few chapters earlier, uh, in chapter 6, the crowd attempted to make Jesus king, and he withdrew. Yet now, uh, he seems to be welcoming it. And then uh, in chapter 7, Jesus goes to Jerusalem privately, not publicly, because he doesn't want uh, to make a show of himself. Yet here he is now uh, accepting the public praise at a coronation process. What was Jesus doing? Well, he was accepting that he was indeed the chosen king, the Messiah, who'd come to save his people. Jesus now uh, publicly accepted being treated as king. Why now? Why uh, not before? Because now his hour had come. The the, the time uh, for his death had arrived. And the world uh, was to see that he was the saviour king. Uh, If you're still there, if we read on a little further in Psalm 118 uh, to verse 27, we'll see that it is about uh, a sacrifice on an altar. As the king returns victorious, the priests in the psalm shout out uh, in verse 27, bind the festal sacrifice with ropes and take it to the horns of the altar. See, it's only uh, through Jesus' sacrificial death that he would bring salvation to his people. Jesus himself was to become the sacrifice spoken of at the end of Psalm 118. King Jesus hadn't come uh, to save his people from Roman oppression, but to offer himself as a sacrifice. That's how he would be uh, the saviour king of the world. 
The crowd were right uh, to rejoice that the king had come, uh, but he wasn't going to be the kind of king that they expected. Uh, In fact, uh, he isn't going to be like any other king. He is the saviour king. First point. Uh, But moving on uh, to verses 14 uh, to 16, he is also the humble king. That's the second point. He is the humble king. What kind of king is Jesus? Uh, Not the one they were expecting. Here we are uh, in the middle of a coronation procession, uh, crowds holding palm branches and praising Jesus as king and saviour. And what does Jesus do? Verse 14, uh, he found a young donkey and sat on it. Verse 15, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I talk about uh, an anticlimax. You could hardly get a bigger one. A young donkey? Really? Not a war horse, Jesus? Not a chariot? Not a powerful speech to stir up the crowd? No, Jesus uh, accepts the praise as king and then simply sits upon a young donkey. It all looks uh, very unimpressive. A picture the scene of King Charles's procession uh, from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey at his uh, coronation last year. Uh, the king travelled to his coronation in uh, the Diamond Jubilee State Coach. It weighed in uh, at over three tons. Six horses uh, were needed to pull it along. The timber uh, used to make it was taken from various uh, historic sites all over the UK. The door handles uh, were individually decorated with uh, 24 diamonds and 130 sapphires. It was an impressive sight fit only for a king. But now uh, imagine the scene again. Uh, Only this time uh, Charles and Camilla leave Buckingham Palace uh, and they get into uh, a little Renault Clio. Nothing against the car. I used to drive one myself. But this one uh, is a pretty rusty old banger. They just about uh, squeeze into the car uh, and the car uh, chugs along, pumping out smelly exhaust fumes, just about uh, making it down the mall uh, and round to Westminster Abbey before breaking down. Out they climb, the door falls off its hinges as they open it to get out, uh, but they dust themselves off uh, and they go off uh, into Westminster Abbey uh, to begin the coronation service. It's all a bit embarrassing, but everyone just uh, tries to carry on with it and not make too much of it. That's the sort of thing uh, that is happening here uh, in our passage outside Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is the king, the promised Messiah, come to save them. The crowds hail him as the king uh, enters Jerusalem uh, sitting on a lowly donkey. A donkey was actually the animal uh, used to mock Jesus in a drawing uh, known as the Alexa Menos uh, Graffito. It was scratched in plaster uh, in the second century AD and it depicted a a crucified man with the head of a donkey uh, being worshipped by another man. 
And the caption uh, underneath, Alexa Menos worships his God. It was really uh, nothing impressive about Jesus choosing to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. But Jesus choosing to ride in uh, was intentional. It was very deliberate. Uh, Turn with me, if you can, to uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, If you're working backwards from Matthew's gospel, you'll get to Malachi and then Zechariah, if you're looking for it. Uh, And keep a finger on it uh, in it as well, as we'll come back to it later. Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. It's where John is quoting from in verse 15 uh, of our passage. Let me read Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus could uh, have ridden on a war horse, but he chooses instead uh, to ride a donkey and fulfill this prophecy in Zechariah. Uh, No doubt the crowd's uh, nationalistic hopes uh, for a rebellion against the Romans would quickly have disappeared. You see, the donkey uh, symbolized two things. It symbolized humility and peace. We see them both in Zechariah 9. Uh, Rather than a war horse, uh, Jesus took the humble and lowly position of riding a donkey uh, as a king coming in peace. It's hardly surprising that his uh, disciples are confused uh, in verse 16 of our passage. Uh, What kind of king is he? The the promised uh, Messiah come to save his people, the one hailed and promised uh, in Psalm 118. Yet here he is coming uh, on a lowly donkey uh, to bring peace. What on earth uh, is going on? Well, John uh, tells us uh, it's only after Jesus is glorified, meaning uh, after his death and resurrection, that they understand this prophecy in Zechariah. That's when they realize uh, what kind of king is Jesus. See, after his death and resurrection, the disciples uh, look back at all that happened. Uh, They look back at the donkey uh, and realize that it wasn't inappropriate. Uh, It wasn't unfitting uh, or an anticlimax at all. No, it was exactly in keeping uh, with what Jesus had come to do. You see, uh, on that first Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus rode a donkey as the humble king. But only a few days later, uh, on Good Friday, he would humble himself even further uh, to death on a cross. His humble entrance to Jerusalem is perfectly in keeping with his humble death on a cross just a few days later. It's perfectly in keeping with the kind of king uh, that he is. The humble king on a donkey coming to bring peace uh, was just a little picture of what would become clear uh, in a few days to the disciples. That very same king uh, would hang on a cross to bring everlasting peace. 
For the disciples, uh, it's at the cross that it becomes clear what kind of king Jesus is. He was a king riding, a, riding not to a, a golden throne, but to a wooden cross. But how would this uh, bring salvation and victory? How could uh, one who is humble and lowly also be mighty and victorious uh, over their enemies? Uh, What would this salvation that he came to bring actually look like? What would this king achieve for them? Well, Zechariah 9 uh, verses 10 to 12 tells us uh, exactly what this salvation uh, will involve. Uh, Have a look at Uh, Verse 10 in Zechariah 9. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. And even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Three things stand out. The salvation that this king brings will involve the proclamation of peace and the setting free of prisoners because of the blood of the covenant. Peace at liberation because of the blood of the covenant. Zechariah 9 tells us that the king is coming on a donkey and will achieve his victory because of the blood of the covenant. It's just like the sacrifice at the altar that Psalm 118 spoke of as well. It's by the king's death, by the shedding of Jesus' own blood, that he will save his people. It's by his blood poured out for us on the cross that his people are set free. Not from political enemies uh, like the Romans, but from the greatest enemy that exists, sin and death. It's on the cross that victory over sin and death is achieved. It's on the cross uh, that our sins are forgiven. It's on the cross uh, that the record of debt that stands against us is cancelled and nailed to the cross. It's on the cross that peace with God and one another is proclaimed. It's on the cross that the devil who holds the power of death is defeated. It's on the cross that victory is won. Hallelujah. See, the ultimate victory comes when Jesus, uh, the mighty warrior, humbled himself to death on a cross to defeat the devil, to defeat sin, to defeat death. It's by humbling himself uh, on a cross that the king would save his people. I wonder whether you're afraid of death. I wonder whether you're uh, in fear of judgment for the sin that you know you're guilty of. Well, John says uh, in verse 15, we do not need to be afraid. Do not be afraid, he says. The words aren't there in Zechariah 9. He's taken them uh, from another verse in Isaiah and brought them uh, together. But his point is, uh, we do not need to be afraid because our king has come. 
He's gone to the cross and he's defeated sin and death. Hebrews uh, chapter 2 says that Jesus became human so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. By Jesus' death, uh, Satan's power over death is destroyed so that we no longer need to fear death. We can be free from that fear. Paul says these wonderful words in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the saviour king who defeated sin and death by being the humble king who died on a cross. That's the kind of king uh, that we have. That's what he's achieved for us if we trust in him. I wonder, have you accepted him as your king? Have you uh, put your trust in him? Have you asked him uh, to be your saviour and your king? He's come so that you do not need to be afraid of death. So you don't need to fear uh, your mistakes and failures anymore. So that you don't even need to fear that greatest enemy, death. He's come to offer you life, eternal life and forgiveness. He's the kind of king that we all long for and that we all desperately need. Can I encourage you today, if you haven't yet done so, to ask him to be your king and saviour today while you still can. But for all of us, uh, don't we long to know him more deeply? Don't we wish that we could see him more clearly? How can we do that? How can we know Christ better? John wants us to know that too. You see, it's easy to have the wrong perception of Jesus, to take a superficial look at him and miss who Jesus really is. Even his disciples struggle to understand that in this passage. And the crowd, well, later on they show that they haven't really grasped who Jesus is at all. While they see him as the Messiah here in John 12, they don't see uh, what kind of king he is. And they don't see uh, what he's going to achieve for them. And so I think we need to be careful too. Uh, Maybe uh, we're tempted to think of him uh, as uh, Jesus gentle, meek and mild. Because that's the image we have of him uh, maybe from Sunday school. Uh, And that's the side of him that we feel most uh, drawn to. And so uh, we struggle to see him as the mighty, victorious king who defeats his enemies. But a king uh, demands obedience. Jesus uh, sets prisoners free from sin and false worship uh, so that they can worship the true God. 
We're called to turn from our sin and to submit to his rule. And it is a wonderful rule to submit to. But we need to take it seriously. And we need to give him our wholehearted allegiance and serve him as king. Uh, Or maybe uh, we're tempted to think of him uh, as the mighty victorious king who defeats his enemies. And so we struggle to see him uh, as the humble king who brings peace. We think he's come to save us uh, from everyone and everything that makes our life difficult now and gets in our way. And then we get frustrated uh, when Jesus doesn't do that for us. We need to take seriously uh, what it means to follow him, to take up our cross, to humble ourselves too, like him, to live at peace uh, with everyone as far as we're able to. How do we know uh, Jesus more deeply? How do we make sure we see him both as our saviour king and as the humble king? Well, John tells us in verse 16 uh, that we look to the cross. It's only uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, when he was glorified, uh, that the disciples realize who he is. It's his death and resurrection that allows them to make sense of everything. And so we must keep uh, central to all that we say and think about Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Uh, But like the disciples, we also need to look to the scriptures, uh, to all that has been written about Jesus. We need to keep uh, listening to God's written word that reveals to us the word became flesh. So he's the saviour king. uh, He's the humble king. uh, But lastly and more briefly, he is the unstoppable king. Verses 17 uh, to 19. He is the unstoppable king. Uh, Remember Lazarus, Jesus had raised him from the dead in the nearby village of uh, Bethany back in chapter 11. It was a a concrete historical event that showed Jesus really could give resurrection life. It was a sign that he performed uh, and the crowd wanted to meet him because of it. But how did the crowd uh, in verse 18... Uh, the crowd that went out to meet Jesus with palm branches, Uh, how did they hear about Jesus and the sign? Well, there are two crowds uh, in these verses. Uh, The crowd in verse 17 uh, were with Jesus in Bethany when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. Uh, They continued to spread the word so that the crowd in Jerusalem, verse 18, heard about Jesus and the sign, and went out to meet him. Do you see the point? Uh, John wants us to see that as people speak about Jesus and what he's done and what he offers, others will be drawn to him. It's not exactly news uh, to keep quiet about, is it? Jesus has just said in chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Every single one of us in here uh, and every single person out there uh, has a day that they'll die. But Jesus promises uh, if we believe in him, we will live even though we die. 
Will we tell people about him? Will we hold out words of life and hope to a dying world? We can so easily lose perspective and talk about everything else except the thing that people most need to hear. Will we spread the word about our Saviour King and the resurrection life that is found only in him? Will we play our part in the unstoppable growth of the kingdom? As we do, uh, more and more people will go after the unstoppable king. Even the Pharisees realize that in verse 19. See, uh, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. There's a great irony, though, uh, in what they're saying. By uh, the whole world, they mean everyone in their little world of Jerusalem. But John uh, means everyone all over the world who's lost in darkness and in rebellion against God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus really is the saviour of the world. He's the unstoppable king on a mission to save the world. What kind of king uh, can you really trust? What kind of king uh, can cast out even the fear of death? What kind of king uh, can meet your deepest needs? There's only one king, the saviour king, the humble king, the unstoppable king, seated on a donkey who came to offer eternal life to the whole world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you uh, for giving us a saviour king and a humble king. A king who uh, came to serve us and humble himself even uh, to death on a cross. Father, we praise you that he has won uh, the ultimate victory through his blood on the cross. We praise you that he has set us uh, free from the fear of death and judgment. That he has brought us peace and eternal life uh, for those who believe in him. Father, help us to trust him. Help us to follow him. Help us to serve him as our king. Father, give us uh, courage uh, to speak of our great king uh, to a dying world. And Father, continue, please, we pray, to grow your kingdom. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.